Um, I need to grab the handouts. One second. our study uh, in this series, seven classes on life as a believer. We're in the fifth class, meeting with God's family. We've got a couple more left to work through. Let me begin with a word of prayer. We'll look at a couple texts of scripture, get into the material, and then look at our main text. Let's pray. Father, how sweet and awesome is the place where Christ is within its doors. And Lord, it's one of the reasons we love to come and meet with believers because we know that Christ will meet with us. And so we pray that um, you would strengthen us for this task to worship, worship you today. Pray that all of the services and all of the um, interactions that we have would be done in service to you and in service to one another uh, for your glory. And we do pray that you would fill up our church and and other gospel preaching churches like ours with all the chosen race so that with one heart and one voice we will be able to sing of your redeeming grace both in this life and in the life to come. And pray for your help now as we look into your word, think about uh, the role of the local church and, and its place in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Can I have uh, two volunteers look up a couple passages while I introduce this? Eric, uh, Romans 12, 4 and 5, and then Bill, 1 Timothy 3, 15. So when you think of a church, what images come to mind? Anyone? What kind of images do you think of when you think of a church? Okay, a body is a one, one of the ways that the scripture describes the church or uses a picture for us. Anything else? Family. A family. Good. That's kind of the topic of what we're looking at today, and that's uh, we'll talk about that here in just a second. It's also a, a, um, a flock. You know, the flock that's being shepherded by Christ, um, and uh, and a building. And so there's lots of great images in the Scripture that help us to think about what the church is supposed to be and do. And, and um, 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So speaking to the Corinthians there, he's saying, you are a building. Here's some extra handouts. The church is also pictured as a body. Uh, Someone, uh, Eric, is that you? Romans 12, 4 and 5?
All right, so there the church is pictured as a body. And, and the image of a building and a body and a flock, those are all helpful. But, um, but this class, we're going to be using this fourth image, which is the family. And Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, and he explains that, that the church is not fundamentally a place or a, a building that we meet at, uh, but, but rather it's a family. So listen to 1 Timothy 3.15. Okay, so the house of God is the church. It's the dwelling place of God. It's the place where he now meets with his people. It's, it's the people. It's talking about the, the believers. And when we think about a household, we think of families. Um, we think of family relationships. And that, those kind of imageries are, are rich throughout Scripture as you think about uh, Ephesians chapter 1 where we're told that we are adopted into God's family. Um, that we are made sons of God. Um, Luke 11, Jesus, remember we were looking at that last week when you're thinking about talking to God. Jesus used the relationship of a father and a son when he's talking about our relationship with God where we go to God with our requests and he responds. He doesn't give us uh, a scorpion or he doesn't give us a stone. He gives us um, fish and bread. And, um, And then you have this relationship of the church to Christ, which is a bride and a groom in, in the book of Revelation. And so um, the, the New Testament is constantly using this imagery to describe our relationship to one another and to God and to Jesus as a family. And in fact, one of the ways that we are described in Scripture, uh, that, other, that believers are described as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you think of a family, regardless of how good of experience you had as one, what kind of characteristics or, qualify, or qualities describe what a family is? Or what kind of um, qualities identify a family? What do you think of when you think of a family? Yeah. Authority? Okay. Possibly. Okay, there's support. Okay, kinship, you, you just, you, you relate, right? You're on the same level with them. You can, can relate with them. Is it not love and care? I mean, who's there for you when, when times are tough? Is it not the people that are in your family that are there for you? Um, unity, discipline, protection, meaningful relationships, and, and all these qualities should characterize a family, and I think they ought to characterize the church, and, and hopefully we'll see that develop here as we look at our main passage, which is Acts chapter 2. So turn there with me, Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to, to park. Still working through the introduction, I'm going to answer some of these questions for you. Um, in fact, the very first one, the class objective is to determine what is expected of us when we meet with other members of God's family. So to determine what is expected of us when we meet with other members of God's family. That's the goal for the class today. We want to determine what is expected of us 
when we meet with other members of God's family. And I think Acts 2 uh, will be instructive as to what ought to go on in our relationships here in this church. We want to see, I mean, this passage really explains for us the, the first establishment of the church there in Jerusalem. And I think it's instructive as to what a church ought to be and do. So to answer the question, what is the church? The church is a distinct distinct community of people who display God's glory. A distinct community of people who display God's glory. 1 Peter 2, 9 Peter's talking to Christians and he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So a distinct people. All those terms just piling on the idea that we are distinct. And then he finishes by saying, So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So we are a distinct community who, who are made to display God's glory. And I would say that one of the fundamental ways that God displays His glory is through the church in this age. It is through Christ's church. Now, there are two primary ways to understand what it means to be God's family or to be a church, um, which we see in Scripture. First, there is um, what... Well, let me let me ask you. What do you think a universal church is? Anyone want to take a stab at trying to define the universal church over and against the local church? Okay. Every believer is in a universal church. Okay. Alive only or Okay. So how far back are we going? We're going back to the second chapter Acts. Okay. So back to Pentecost all the way till when do you think that ends? At the rapture. Okay, so we're talking all believers from the time of Pentecost, Acts 2, all the way till the rapture. That makes up the universal church. I think that's a good way to describe it. All believers from Pentecost to the rapture. So when you first come to saving faith, you are automatically, you automatically become a member of the universal church. You automatically are entered into union with this body of Christ. Now, when you read through the Bible, you're not going to see these terms. You're not going to see universal church. You're not going to see local church. Okay, they're not they're not described in those ways. You're just going to see the word church. Um, but I think this is a helpful way to understand that there are two different types of churches that the two different aspects of the church that the apostles talked about. Um, and, you know, there's this idea, maybe you've come across people, I just did uh, a week or so ago, when I was in New York, I was talking to a guy who said that he didn't need to be a part of a, a local church because he was already a member of the universal church. And so he was fine with that. And, um, and I asked him how he obeyed the ordinances. He didn't really have a good response to that one. You know, you can't really... How do you participate in the ordinances of the universal church, right? I mean, you could, I, I suppose you could do your own baptisms wherever you're at. You could do your own communion wherever you're at. Um, 
But then, how do you obey the commands in Hebrews 13:17 to obey your leaders? Right? Who are the leaders of the universal church? I mean, who are the physical people that you need to be uh, submitting yourself to? In other words, you can't obey the commands of Scripture with regard to the church if you're only a member of the universal church. So I think there is a clear expectation for people not just to enter into union with the universal church. We do that when we accept Christ as Savior. But the expression of that, the, the expression of our membership into the universal church is our membership in the local church. It's similar to baptism. When you are saved, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's something that's judicial. It's not experiential. You can't feel yourself being baptized by the Spirit. It's something that's done on, on God's part and is done eternally. You can't be unbaptized by the Holy Spirit. But the expression of that is what? How do we express that we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? Water baptism, exactly. So the expression of our, our spirit baptism is water baptism. The expression of our universal church membership is local church membership. So I think there's a, there's a theological connection. There's no command in Scripture, you know, be a member of a local church. There's no command of that, but I think that it's assumed uh, based on the commands that we're expected to obey. Um, so just to give you an idea, there's 115 times in the New Testament when the word church is used. Ecclesia is the Greek word behind that. And of those 115 times, 100 of those are referring to a local body of believers. Okay, So most of the time when you come across the word church in the New Testament, you know, to the church, start almost any of the epistles, to the church at Corinth. That's talking not about all of us from, the, from Pentecost to the rapture. That's talking about just that church in Corinth. Now, there's application for us, but, but that's talking about a local church. When William Tyndale first translated the Bible into the English language in the 16th century, he translated that word church to congregation, just to give that sense of this is talking about a local body of, of assembled believers. And so the point is that the local church is assumed in Scripture. A local congregation is the visible manifestation of the universal church and the primary way that God displays His glory, carries out His purposes in this age is through the church. All right, any questions on that introductory material? Anyone? All right. Questions? Comments? All right, so let's look at this passage here in Acts 2 now that we've established kind of some foundation. What happens in a church? What does our time together look like? If we are God's family, what should it look like? So let's read verses 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. 
Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, much like we did last week with the Lord's Prayer, we're going to discuss the characteristics of a local church as described here in the first local church, Acts 2, and try to demonstrate what it looks like to meet with God's family uh, here at Ambassador Baptist Church. So the first thing that we see in verse 42 is that, that they were devoted, they were devoting themselves to the teaching, the, to the apostles' teaching. So we could say that they were devoting themselves to the Word of God, that, that the Word of God was being taught in their assembly. They were committed to what the apostles had to say about Christ. And while I am no apostle and no man that lives is an apostle, we still devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because the apostles' teaching is the inspired Word of God that we have in our hands right now. And so we still seek to do that same thing. I think this is an emphasis that ought to be on the church. What the church ought to be is primarily about teaching God's Word. And I don't think that it's by accident that we see that expectation there. In 1 Timothy 2.4, we saw, I think last week or a couple weeks ago, that, that the chief task of a preacher is to preach the Word of God. He needs to be a heralder or a proclaimer of the Gospel. He needs to be able to speak the truth of the Word of God and then, as we've been seeing in Titus, refute those who oppose it. And that's the fundamental reason that we have a pastor at our church is so that he can teach the Word of God. A couple things to, um, to note here as to why Scripture should be at the center of everything we do. First, um, Scripture points the way to salvation. It, it makes us wise unto salvation. 1 Timothy 3.14 It makes us wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, if we want to have life in our church, we need to have the Word. There is no life without the Word. We cannot have spiritual life apart from God speaking. And so, if we're going to be a church that is vibrant and living, then we need the living Word of God. We need the living Word that is active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword able to pierce through the dividing sunder of of soul and spirit. But not only does it make us wise into salvation, teaches us the plan of redemption, and shows us the way, um, but it also protects us from ignorance and error. Right? These are two of the, the dangers that we constantly have as believers, that we can be ignorant about what God wants, or we can be in error about what God wants. Like we don't really know what God wants or we, we think we know and we've got it wrong. And so what the teaching of Scripture does is it helps to reprove us, doesn't it? It helps us to show us the right way to think. But it also helps us to see the right way to live. That's why in 1 Timothy 3.16 it's profitable for reproof and teaching and correction and training in righteousness. All those things have to do with with the way that we think and the way that we we live. And so that's what the Scriptures help us with. The third benefit, so first it makes us wiser to salvation. Secondly, it protects us from ignorance and error. 
Third, it equips us. I don't know if I gave you a third. Yeah, I said three, but I only gave you two blanks. So you have to add the third one there. It equips us to do good works. So if the church is God's family and made to display God's glory, then we have to have the ability to do do that. We have to be able to, to display God's glory if God expects us to display His glory. And the way that we do that is through good works, and the Scriptures help us in that. In fact, 1 Timothy 3.17 says, after you know all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for these things, so that what? The man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? For good works. For every good work, really. So everything that you need to do with regard to life and godliness is explained for you in the Word of God. You don't need anything more than what the Word gives uh, for us. His divine power, 2 Timothy 1.3, has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so the Word is profitable for salvation, for protection, and for training. And so if you've been at our church for a long time, you know that, that what we try to do here is to build um, our services primarily around what the Word uh, tells us to do. So we want, we want to spend some, a lot of time in looking at the Word, studying the Word, committing ourselves to the Apostles' teaching. We want to make sure that our prayers are based on what the Scriptures emphasize. We want to um, make sure that our Sunday school classes and Bible studies on Wednesday nights are all based on the scriptures and even the lyrics to our song we want songs that we sing we want to make sure that they are consistent with what the scriptures say all right any questions on that first part of Acts 2 all right secondly committed community of believers in verses 44 and 45 are a strong sense of community these Christians weren't lone rangers, you know, just kind of, you go off on your own and here, take a, a little portion of the scriptures and, and have fun with that. Hope that works out for you. They, they had this strong sense of community so that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods and giving to the poor. Now, we might think the poor out there, but what he, the idea here is the poor inside of our church. That as we see a need in our church... Those who have the means are actually selling in order to, to meet that need. So there's a strong sense of community. They were serving each other and were focused on, on each other's needs, even at the cost of themselves. Now, I want to be clear here that this is not calling for communism. They're not living in a commune where we just... Um, you know, like the Amana colonies type thing where the, we kind of just, we all give our stuff to the main guy and, and he kind of disperses it on his own. That's not what the scriptures are calling for. And the reason I know that is because of Acts chapter 4. Just turn over there. You're pretty close. Look at verse 34, Acts 4:34. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. So this, they're not being coerced by the apostles to say, you need to bring everything that you own. We'll disperse it for you. It was they were the owners. Did you see that in verse 34? 
for all who were owners of land. So as we make a determination like Ananias and Sapphira did, we made a determination, or probably a better example would be Barnabas, right, who made a determination, I own this tract of land, but it would be better served if I sold it and gave the money to the church so that they could give it to some of the people who have need within our church. And the point of all of this is that, 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 that the believers in Acts 2, which you can turn back there now, um, they were committed to one another. They, they had a sense of community. Notice what uh, John Piper says about them. He says they were so bonded that if one was in need, the others did not feel they had the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet the need. So they would sell their possessions and use the money to meet the needs of the poor in the church. This is a good model for us to, 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 um, to think about and to follow as well. Christians should take responsibility for one another. You know, this is not like... Um, trying to think of an example of some kind of membership that you could have um, where you just kind of come and go as you please. Maybe a gym membership, which may be overused on my part, but gym membership, you kind of come and go as you please, but there's no real sense of community. You don't have any obligation to those people to care for their needs. I mean, you may find a, um, a camaraderie with someone there, but, but you don't have a strong sense of community with people who are at the gym. And, and that ought not to be the way that it is here. We should be like a family here. So how can this happen? How can we have a meaningful community or a healthy family um, at this church. And I think the answer is that, that if we don't take responsibility for one another, if we don't pray for one another regularly and, and are talking to one another and finding out what, he, what, what kind of needs that there are, then, then I don't think we can have a sense of community um, as the Scriptures expect. We need to commit ourselves to one another. In fact, that's what we do with our church covenant, which is what I put for you there, our portion of it. Uh, it's not all of it. If you want to see the whole thing, you can look in the, the uh, cover of the hymn book in front of you. But here's a portion of it, and I'll just read the highlighted part. That, that we come together most solemnly and joyfully entering into the covenant with one another as one body in Christ. And then notice the, the part down below. There we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. So when you entered into membership, you agreed to this covenant. Now, we don't review this uh, often. In fact, we don't review it very much at all except for in a few of these classes, and maybe we would do well to, to do that to renew our covenant and be reminded of what we have agreed to. But, but this is what we have agreed to when we came into membership of this church. That we agreed first with a statement of faith, how we believe, and then our church covenant, how we expect to live. And, and these ways actually say, I promise to, similar to what you do with your wedding vows, right? I promise to care for you in sickness and in health. And, and you're saying something very similar here when you enter into a covenant with a local body that, hey, I'm going to take responsibility for you in brotherly love to care for you in times of distress, to, to pray for you. That's why I'm constantly reminding us, not just because of this covenant, but, but constantly reminding us 
and myself included, to be praying for one another. And I encourage us to do that weekly, to pray for each member of our church. Certainly in addition to the other people you pray for, but but um, not to the exclusion of the people that you've covenanted together with. And that's one of the ways that we we build a strong sense of community. Another way we build that is through fellowship, Christian fellowship, verse 46. Uh, this idea here is um, not simply that we've come into a group, we just are part of a group of any kind, but it really has more of a... Uh, a stronger sense than socializing. It's not just that, hey, we, we know these people by name and we every once in a while we'll walk past them and say, hey, how's it going? Um, Christian fellowship is more than that. And and the fellowship that the scriptures call for is a, spe- a spiritual kind of fellowship. So when we, when we call this, like what we're having today, a fellowship lunch, uh, fellowship is not guaranteed. I hope you understand that, right? We, as Baptists, we um, love our... Our, our fellowships, but but uh, fellowship is not guaranteed. We need to talk about spiritual things. We need to find out how people are doing spiritually. We need to encourage one another, or as Ephesians 4 says, to build one another, um, to speak the truth to one another in love. I was thinking of Jude there, to build one another up in our most holy faith. So it's this commonality that we have in Christ. It's something that we, we don't have with our unbelieving family member. It's something that we don't have with an unbelieving co-worker. Um, it's, it's this common bond that we have because of our relationship with Christ, where we can come together and talk about spiritual things and recognize that, that we serve the same loving and patient God and, and that we ought to give our lives to Him and, and encourage one another to do that. So in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So um, notice they were meeting in the temple courts there. It's where the teaching and the discussions about God would come together, probably because they needed so much room. Couldn't, at some point, they could no longer do it in the house, um, met in the temple courts and just in an open setting. And, you know, as the church starts to grow, it, there's three... 3,000, I think, were added to the church. Yeah, verse 41, 3,000 are added to the church, and then later on, up to 5,000 um, men, which probably suggests there's more like 10 or 12,000 members, perhaps. Uh, so you have a number of people, and so they're not meeting just to, you know, get some coffee and to catch up on, on, on life, but they're there primarily to learn about God and to encourage one another down that path towards a relationship with God. Notice how often they met there in verse 46. It says day by day. And I think the idea there is is that they had regular fellowship. It wasn't sporadic. It wasn't just, you know, we have these acquaintances. You know, maybe we should go check up on them and see how things are going. It was a regular meeting. And it's similar to, to what you'd expect in a regular family. Right? It's not that you just see them every now and then. I'm talking about immediate family. You see them uh, regularly. You, you meet together with them and you talk with them and, and you want to do that sort of thing. 
Don Whitney in his book, Spiritual Discipline, says if, if a child is going to be emotionally healthy, he needs the socialization and encouragement of a, of a family that they can provide. In the same way, every child of God needs the fellowship and encouragement that God intends for him to receive from a church family if he's going to be spiritually healthy. So, you know, I don't know what kind of um, challenges that you're facing right now, but, but you were not meant to face those alone. Uh, no Christian was ever meant to be out on an island, Lone Ranger type of Christian, just dealing with all their challenges alone. You were meant to deal with them within the context of your family and so that we can help bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? That, that we help carry the burdens, the loads that, that you have, hopefully through praying and through encouragement. And then in verse 46, we also see the picture of hospitality. There in the second part, it says that they were breaking bread from house to house and taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. So we'll get back to the breaking of bread here in just a second. But, but the, the meals together in the houses, uh, obviously this wasn't the whole church meeting together, but there was some kind of um, hospitality that was going on where people in the church were meeting um, at maybe... Uh, other times than the normal church services, opening up their homes and allowing other believers to interact with them in that way. So if we're going to help one another along the path towards um, perseverance and godliness, then we need each other. We, um, we're not going to rebuke a stranger. I mean, Facebook was made for that kind of thing. Okay, But, but we generally rebuke those uh, who we love and who we've already built up some capital, right? Um, we we show that there's some there's some trust on our part that, that listen, I'm not in this just so that I can make my world easier. I'm doing this because I see that you're on your path on a pathway towards destruction, and I want to see you get you off get get I want to see you get off that path towards destruction. And we're not going to do that with strangers, and so it implies that we need to. We need to have some kind of unity, some kind of uh, community with one another in order to be able to exchange this kind of... And, and by the way, that's not what all, all fellowship is about. It's about rebuke. But, I'm, but that's kind of one of the hardest things to do is the rebuke part. And we can't do that apart from community. Um, it's more than that, certainly. Certainly there's encouragement and, and other things. At our church, among other things, we try to foster fellowship and... In specific ways, um, we have refreshments before Sunday school so that you have the opportunity to come early and talk with people and, um, and just encourage one another in the faith. We have regular worship. One of the ways that you strengthen the faith of other believers is simply by being here and participating in the service. So if you're here, you're listening, you're actually encouraging other believers. Um, if you're here, you're singing, you're actually speaking the truth to one another in song, right? That's what we're commanded to do in Ephesians 5, right? Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So there's an expectation that we, one of the ways that we encourage one another is by participating in the service. And um, so we, we make sure we make that a part of the service. And then, of course, we can encourage people by praying corporately with them in our Wednesday prayer and Bible study time. And then lunches like we have today. One of the things the deacons and I want to cultivate 
in our church is, is, um, is better and more spiritual fellowship. And one of the ways that I think we can do that, in addition to these ones I just mentioned, is by providing more of these lunches that we're trying to do throughout the year um, where we can kind of sit across from each other in a less, hur- less hurried kind of setting and a little bit more informal than, you know, um, than, than obviously in a church service type setting. Give us an opportunity to, to, to uh, develop our relationships with one another. And so um, if you're new to the church, I would just encourage you the best way that you can get um, become more attached and more part of the community of our church and that we can become attached to you is by just attending every service, attending every every lunch that we have, every time that we have some kind of activity, then uh, that's how we develop our relationships with one another. And all these things ought to be accompanied by a constant exhortation um, to be to be growing up in our faith. All right. Any questions, comments on that so far? All right, next, the breaking of bread. Back in verse 42 at the end of the verse, there it says the breaking of bread, and then also in the middle of verse 46. And I think both of these are referring to the Lord's Supper or communion. This is one of the ways that we uh, express our bond with one another. We're saying when we take the Lord's Supper, I join in the body of Christ. I join with the body of Christ to remember the person and work of Christ. And um, so in some ways, the act of communion, communion is like a family gathering where members of the same family gather to celebrate what we have in common. We have in common the, the, the uh, relationship that, uh, with Christ, that, that we all are um, children of God. And so one of the ways that we celebrate that is, is through communion. And then, of course, through baptism as well. We, um, we certainly do it ourselves, but, but we also witness it when other people are being baptized. Verse 41, after they had received the word, they were baptized and then added to the church. I think that added, by the way, is talking about some kind of formal membership um, where people were added to the church. And the reason for this baptism um, is because Christ told us to be baptized, right? Make disciples, and as you're making them, baptize them and teach them everything that I have, teach them uh, how to do everything that I've commanded you to do. And so when someone's baptized at this church, is a formal recognition that a person has identified himself with Christ and with this family. Because we don't baptize people who are not willing to join the church. That, that baptism is a prerequisite for church membership and, and if you're going to be baptized and we expect you to join our church if, if not then, then you're welcome to be baptized in another place but, but that's part of entering into this family it's an expression um, of, of your identity with Christ and then with joining our church at least initially obviously um, people move on after, after a while it's understandable and then in prayer, verse 42, breaking of bread and prayer. So they spent their time focusing on this aspect of worship. And, and this ought to be a priority in our lives. That's why we take 20 to 30 minutes on Wednesday night and 
several minutes during each of our services to pray um, for one another and with one another. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to spend too much time for, since we're running out of time. Verse 43, the evident power of the Spirit. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place. Now, we need to recognize that this is uh, the establishment of the church and there was some authentication that needed to happen, so that's why the wonders and signs were there and why we don't expect or uh, require uh, wonders and signs today. We think those have ceased. We think that, that those miracles are done away with. They were only done used for the apostles during that time as they were establishing the church. And then as you see throughout the chronology of the New Testament, they start to go away and they they're become fewer and fewer uh, as the church is more and more established. But there is a, a principle that we can draw from this, and that is that, that there is the power of the Spirit that's obvious within the church. And the primary way that we see the Spirit work is as He produces the fruit of the Spirit, right? You might look around and say, well, where's the Spirit working? Like, which one of us have the Spirit or, or is He in all of us? Is He working in all of us? And the primary way that we see it is that He's produced life, right? He's taken someone who is spiritually dead and He's made them spiritually alive and the, the evidence of that is that they bear within them the fruit of the Spirit. So as we see people perform acts of love, acts of sacrifice, and, and they're doing it with joy, and, and as they persevere through trials, right, the long-suffering part of the fruit of the Spirit, then, then we see the evidence of the Spirit. As we see people earnest about the Scriptures, that they're serious about following and submitting themselves to the Scriptures, that, that's an evidence that the Spirit is at work among us. And I'm thankful for being able to see those evidences in you. Verse 47, conversions. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, as a result of God's glory being on display in this church, as the church is coming together in fellowship and community and praying for one another, committing themselves to the Word of God, the natural response or result is that people are coming to saving faith. And that's what we want to see happen in our church. Another, again, another evidence that the Spirit is at work is that people are coming to saving faith. And um, God brings people to, to, to saving faith as they see uh, the, the, uh, the realness, the genuineness of, of um, our love for Christ and our love for one another. Notice our statement of faith here. Uh, I have for you on the bottom of the handout there. A New Testament church is a congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant of faith and fellowship in the gospel, observing, observing the ordinance of Christ, governed by His laws, exercising the gifts as set out in the Word of God. So I think that kind of statement that was established in 1939 when this church was started is a statement that's that understands what's going on in Acts. That, that we are supposed to be, we, are, we were initially established to be a group who comes together in fellowship and, and around the Word of God. 
So let me give you three reasons why, why a person ought to commit to a local church, and then we'll be done. First, it's commanded in Scripture. I, I said there's no direct command, join a local church, but there is a command in Hebrews 10.25 that cannot be obeyed without being a member of a church, and that is, uh, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of such is, some is, but, uh, but exhort one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we profess to be a Christian, then we should be regularly in a church. And, and I think if we take this in connection with Hebrews 13 to obey our leaders and so that, remember Hebrews 13, part of the purpose there in verse 17 is that, um, that they, the pastor, the leaders of your church are able to watch over your souls. And I think implied in that is if we're not a member of a church, how will the pastor know whose souls he's watching over? Right? How does the shepherd watch over a, a sheep who's not uh, in his flock? He needs to know which ones those are. And I think there's just all sorts of examples. 1 Corinthians 5 says to remove that person from your midst. I don't think we can move, remove someone if they're not a member of our church. Um, uh, there's this command. There's these commands throughout the New Testament of, of uh, doing things or serving one another, loving one another, and, and the one another seems to be other believers who are connected uh, within the body. You know, we don't have a command necessarily to love um, to, to show clear acts of expression of love to every single believer right to every single believer who's, who's in the universal church it would be impossible for us to do that right we don't even know who all those people are we wouldn't be able to come and help meet their needs we wouldn't even be able to pray for them by name okay so if we're going to obey these commands if we're going to uh, obey this command in Hebrews 10 then I think we need to be a, a member of a local church Secondly, it's an evidence of real salvation. This is, the, this is where the fruit of the Spirit is really put on display. You know, someone can say, I'm a strong Christian and not be a part of a church, but then they can just go on living in their little fantasy world that says, I'm okay, my doctrine's okay, my, the way I live is okay. But if they're never bumping into other believers and being challenged in the way that they think and act, then they can, they can be living in a, you know, a lie, basically, right? And yet, when we come into the body of believers, we're actually, people can hold up for us the mirror of God's Word and say, wait a second, you're, you believe that or you're living like that? That's not consistent with what the Word says, right? It, it's an evidence of, of real salvation. It's where the fruit of the Spirit are displayed. It's, it's how we actually show them in life. It's, it's to other believers, John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I think it's within the context of a local church that our love for God and our love for one another is manifested. And then thirdly, going to church uh, or, or becoming a member of a local church promotes spiritual growth and protects us against sin. I just commend you that passage, Ephesians 4, that each of us has a responsibility to speak the truth to one another in love. And, and um, as I mentioned in our membership class, that absence from the church is either a reflection of sin or it's a portal to sin. 
So it's either an expression that a person is not living for God or it's, it's an avenue that will lead them to, to live apart from God. And so um, we need to be regularly apart. For the sake of our souls, we need to be a part of a local church. And so I realize I'm probably speaking to the choir here. Most of you are members of this church. Um, so I, I recognize that. But I think it's always good to be reminded why we are and why we encourage people to join this church and why we uh, work hard to guard the front door of the church church membership and to open up the back door um, because we're, we want to make sure that our church is made up of, of baptized believers who are committed to this body and working to grow, grow up in our most holy faith. Any questions or thoughts before we pray and, and are dismissed? All right. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this church. We're thankful for uh, the truth of your word. We pray that you'd help us to think carefully about Acts 2 and, and what, what it means for us and how we participate in the services and how we encourage one another. Uh, sometimes we think of formal discipleship of sitting across from somebody at a table and opening up a, a Bible study book uh, to work through with them. But, but the primary way that discipleship happens is as we commit ourselves to the teaching of your word and as we speak to one another truth through our singing and through our interaction here at the church and, and even today at lunch. And we pray that you'd give us strength to, to obey you today. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.